your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin, and I'm here this week. James Fox alongside us, as he is every week on the Future Sox Podcast. Thanks so much to Josh Nelson for filling in for me last week. James, you and Josh had a really good conversation, I thought, about you know the decisions behind incorporating Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos onto the 40-man roster, as well as explaining some of the non-tender choices in Adam Engel and Danny Mendick, among others. So I appreciate the conversation there because it leads us to this week as sort of the timeline of Major League Baseball offseason is progressing now and we're at that point where we were over the hump of the little moves that influence decision making in the front office so now here we go as we're seeing some moves trickle down around Major League Baseball and that includes the White Sox picking up a right-handed starter in Mike Clevenger and we're also seeing Beloved Jose Abreu go over to the Houston Astros in signing a pretty lucrative contract, and we'll discuss it all. And this is where I want to start with you, James. First, you know, happy post-Thanksgiving. Hope everybody listening, you and your family are doing well and enjoy the holiday. And we really appreciate the support you for you listening and to you tuning in every week for us uh, here at Future Socks and SocksMachine.com. It really does mean a lot. So we're thankful for you. And I guess I can say we're thankful for the White Sox because otherwise, what will we be doing with our lives? And at this point now, we're trying to figure out what they're doing with the 40-man roster. And now that includes a five-man rotation. Mike Clevenger is, is now a part of it. And it's a move that was made pretty much right away in the offseason cycle. This reminded me of a couple of moves that the White Sox made. One uh, was recently, I think Adam Eaton was made after the Jack Peterson move didn't come to fruition. And even before that, yes, Monty Grandall was a target. It was a position of need, right? And they went out and got Grandall. They targeted who they believed could fix a glaring issue to kick off an offseason. Peterson was their guy, but pivoted to Eaton. The point I'm making is when the White Sox identify somebody, they typically don't waste a lot of time. So... Here we are, James, Mike Clevenger. How do you feel? One year, $12 million. Is that enough? Is that too much? Do you think this is kind of fool's gold at this point uh, with Clevenger's status? I mean, he had two Tommy John surgeries, one in the minor leagues back in 14, and then most recently in 2020. So here we are, White Sox after one season pitched following his second Tommy John with the Padres, picking up Clevenger, and hopefully they, they can... I don't know, grab whatever life is left in the arm. Yeah, so, you know, I kind of like this, but... So, like, Ethan Katz, I think this is, like, every... We kind of talked about this on previous shows. You know, I feel like anybody they sign, he, like, signed off on, right? So this is, like, his next project, which is... I mean, like, Clevenger was pretty good last year um, for the first half of the year, and then he kind of sputtered. But, I mean, like, after a second Tommy John, and there were some issues. I know he, like, stopped throwing the curveball, I believe, from from what I read, and... You know, who knows what they're going to do? You know, I think $12 million seems about right. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, Mike. Like, to me, it's like, 
you know, good. They spent $12 million like on a need, like that's fine. But like, is that all of their budget and how are they going to get an outfielder and a second baseman? I think I'm being optimistic right now and just like assuming that in typical White Sox fashion, like this was just the first of the moves available to them. Like I hear a lot of people and see a lot of people kind of say like, okay, well, was that their biggest need? And like, you know, we get into this every off season. Like I, I don't really care what their biggest, like when they nail down their biggest need, right? I just feel like they need to do all of it and if you don't trust them, that's, that's completely understandable. But, you know, I don't think spending this money on Mike Clevenger indicates that they're just like not going to do anything in left field and second base. Like, I think they still will. This was just the move to make right now. Um, but as far as the pitcher himself, like, you know, I kind of like this gamble because I think there's like upside involved. Like it could go belly up and it could be bad and it's a one year deal and you just live with it. But, you know, there's also like the possibility that he's really good and, you know, maybe you give him the qualifying offer at the end of the year and you get a draft pick when he leaves or you extend the relationship a little bit or things don't go well for the White Sox and he's another tradable piece at the deadline. That's where, like, you know, between Clevenger, if it was Clevenger or Cueto, like, I'd prefer this. But kind of like what you said in the lead-in, like, the White Sox do this, man. They were, like, fixated on Jock Peterson and we saw the fallback in Adam Eaton. I'm glad that we didn't see whatever the fallback is this time because I don't really know if I'm interested in the fallback to Mike Clevenger. Well, they have a starter. I think a lot of it had to do with the market, right, dictating his price and the White Sox going after Clevenger so quickly made it so that they weren't competing against other franchises. It's just... What would be the alternative, like you say, if they didn't land Clevenger? And as I was looking at Mike Clevenger's numbers, and this is all, uh, this should all be taken into perspective because, of course, he's coming off a second Tommy John surgery. Last year, he did pitch with a knee sprain that he suffered in spring training. So he was dealing with an injury throughout the year. But he's predominantly a, you know, a hard-throwing right-handed pitcher. Like That's where his stuff comes from. He, he works off the fastball, but the velocity dipped, and understandably so. But he's, you know, fastball, cutter, slider, changeup. And you mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, the curveball numbers are down. And I don't know what that means to where he's at uh, professionally, James. But to me, it seems like another heavy fastball, a hard thrower that Ethan Katz can kind of work with, similar to the way that Lance Lynn operates and Lucas Giolito operates, you know, they, they feast on secondary offerings after establishing the fastball. And my question is, does Mike Clevenger have enough left in his arm? And do you, do you feel confident that the White Sox are able to pull out the best of Mike Clevenger in 2023? Well, so like, what do you think, I guess, personally about sinker usage, like in 2023? So, I mean, the White Sox were always like, a heavy sinker, heavy ground ball team, right? And then Major League Baseball kind of went away from two seamers, like in the the launch angle revolution, like they were just getting murdered and everybody's throwing high four seamers. And it kind of seems like last year he scrapped the curveball, um, but he started throwing a lot more sinkers. And like you know, I don't I don't think the the results necessarily changed, but it was just you know it was you know just like a little bit of like a weird change. So I guess like I'm curious to see when he gets to spring training, like what the plan is. Cause I guarantee you, if they're giving this guy $12 million, like Ethan Katz has some sort of plan for him. Right. So whether he's going to be like fastball slider sinker and change, like, I don't really know. Like I haven't thought about it a ton. Um, but you know, I just think it's interesting if, you know, if they kind of 
bring back like a two seam sinker to to more of their guys and it's it seems to be like one of the changes that he's made yeah and i only bring it up because of the ballpark they play in and, and of course the the contact rate and the hard hit rate that clevenger put up last year as well and you know if you're sitting fastball predominantly then hopefully and i and this is the question that i raise and i hope that We'll, we'll get an answer to it once we watch him on the on the mound. Um, it's just the velocity. Is it is it going to be enough? Is the discrepancy going to be good enough, the gap wide enough to keep hitters off balance? Because this is somebody, too, that you hope is going to give you 160 to 180 innings, and we, we just don't know. That's just the profile of what Clevenger is now. I think he's a different pitcher than what we're used to seeing back when he pitched for the Guardians and was – you know, lighten it up. I just noticed a couple of drop-offs, and that might have to do with the way that his his career has progressed at this point. So just a question to keep in mind, fastball usage and how it's going to play in the White Sox ballpark and how it fits into the rest of the rotation. Because if you're planning to face the White Sox, you go in with a simple game plan uh, at the plate. Make them, make them come to you with fastballs. Make them throw strikes and make them miss. Because if you watch the Houston Astros, and we'll get to the Astros here in a little bit, but the way that they attack hitters in the strike zone is something that I really haven't seen before. They control the strike zone throughout every plate appearance, and it's a large reason why they're so successful um, and why they've won two World Series over five years or whatever the number is at this point. So like I said, we talked about the Astros briefly. We're going to get to more Jose Abreu stuff as he's now the first baseman for the Houston Astros. But James, let's continue on this depth chart topic because now with Clevenger added, the 26 man is is getting relatively full. The budget we had was about 196 million there or thereabouts, and I think it left us about 20 million dollars to play around with. You take 12 million to Clevenger, and suddenly. You know, that budget is kind of in the tank already. So do you expect the White Sox to get creative uh, with, with free agent money, international signings, or are we expecting a trade coming up soon? What's your feel about the way the rest of the offseason can unfold? Yeah, I mean, like I would imagine that their trades, like I, I guess like we just like don't know what the number is, right? Like they kind of said like it was going to be similar to next, similar to last year, which actually puts him in a decent spot. I think like that gives him enough to work with. But then you know James Fegan of the Athletic kind of reported that a White Sox source reached out to him and said it would be closer to one eighty, which is problematic. Like with a signing like this one, because then they're like really close to the limit. So look, I, I really and and maybe this is like my fault for trusting them. I really do think left-handed bats are coming. One outfielder and maybe a second baseman, and that doesn't even include Oscar Colas, who they can add to the mix too. Like I do think that they're finally going to get more left-handed, and I know it's easy to just say like, oh yeah, they're just going to trade for guys, but like the guys that you trade for still make money, right? Like that still counts against your budget. It's not like they're free. So yeah, I mean, they might have to get creative. Um, I haven't heard that they're you know, going to trade some big, huge member of the core. Like there's all these Liam Hendricks rumors from fans and I just like I don't think Rick Hahn's gonna do that in a season where they really need to win um so yeah I mean could they get creative and, and shock us maybe in the winter meetings or next week and and we'll find out so I mean I do think more additions are coming on the pitching staff side though I'd be kind of surprised because if you look at the roster right now I mean there's a 13-man pitching staff 
you got your five starters. There's easily eight guys in the bullpen, and there's very few like White Sox pitchers right now that have options that can go down to the minor league. So, you know, like, yeah, it's easy for us to say to DFA Jose Ruiz or Jake Diekman or somebody, right? But like, my whole point is like, those guys are under contract right now. So you clearly have 13 pitchers ready to go barring health and trades. And there's even some guys like behind those guys. So I, you know, I, I would, I would be pretty surprised with another significant pitcher addition in the bullpen or starter at this point. Yeah. When you say 13 pitchers, there's a roster restriction for the amount of pitchers that you can keep on the 26 man. 13 is the limit and the White Sox have that limit at this point. And you think about the 40 man construction as well. And the way that if they're going to add, you have to be mindful of moving guys off the 40 if necessary. And we've seen the White Sox maneuver around the 40 so many times over the last three years in particular and how they do covet and value their organizational pieces as well as those who they uh, decided to protect in the rule five. So you know, Jason Billis among others uh, are part of that example. So James, I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, there's a couple of things that I want to get into. One is the decision to not bring back Jose Abreu. And the other is why, why they got to this point in, I guess we can call their plan to compete how it got to the point where they have to allow their best player their best hitter an organizational face to go to the houston astros to another team so we're going to get into it we're going to take a quick break if you're a patreon member stay right here you don't have to sit through the ads but if you are not at this point stick with us couple of ads coming your way go to socksmachine.com if you're willing and able to become a patron it really helps us out i say it every week and you guys know how much it means to us so quick break thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the future socks podcast when we come back more white Sox baseball there's no i in team but there is one in indeed and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours when you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. James, we're back here on the Future Sox podcast. Andrew Vaughn is the full-time first baseman. Eloy Jimenez is most likely going to fill the most time in DH this season. And that means no more Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is a part of the Houston Astros. And it's a conversation that we've been having over the last, uh, what, two years? Considering, hey, Jose Abreu and Andrew Vaughn play the same position. Oh, by the way, Gavin Sheets is a first baseman. Oh, by the way, Jake Berger is also a bat who doesn't really fit anywhere else other than first base, DH, or third base. So now the positional redundancy goes down a little bit, but there's still some issues on the roster that we wanted to focus on. But that's really the premise behind our conversation today regarding Jose Abreu is 
man, a guy who had so much success for your organization and your franchise, a guy that you handpicked, you scouted, and you won the negotiations back in 2013, and now he's gone. And it's unfortunate because, man, he accomplished so much. So let's give credit to Jose Abreu coming over from Cuba and dominating the way he did in the American League. He won an MVP. Uh, he, is he third all-time in White Sox home runs across their history? So that just puts into a little bit perspective, but this is a guy that the White Sox are losing in the clubhouse that led by example, did all the right things on the field, played through injury and ultimately hit to his career numbers essentially every single year. So it's a shame, James, that the White Sox had to move on from him. But knowing that you have Andrew Vaughn at first base and also knowing that at 36 years old, a team was willing to give him three years on, on the deal that they signed like the, the Houston Astros. I mean, it makes sense why the White Sox weren't in those conversations, but at the same time, it can't help but uh, acknowledge how much it stings to see him go. Yeah. So he's obviously like always going to be a franchise icon, right? I mean, I think you're correct. It's, you know, I think he has like 200 and 240 homers or so, you know, with the White Sox, I believe is what third all time. So you know, I would imagine Jose Abreu uh, is going to get his number retired in Chicago at you know some point, like in the next decade. But I mean, this move is just—I don't want to say that it's been a long time coming. Just because you know the roster construction issues are what they are, right? And it's the front office's fault that the roster is constructed this way. But I just—you know—I think people are losing sight of the fact that you know, the way this roster was built, like, I, I feel like it was built for a potential future that didn't involve Jose Abreu. And, you know, we could go on for an hour about the shortcomings of, you know, the way that the franchise is run and take it back to the relationship between ownership and the front office and even the dugout and like how some of this stuff happens. But, you know, I think the bottom line is like at this point, like while fans would have loved to see Jose Abreu retire with the White Sox and like, I look, I would have been totally on board with that too. It's just very hard to bring him back at this particular moment, especially for the money that he got in Houston. Good for him, man. Like $60 million, That this contract's bigger than the one that the White Sox gave him three years ago at this point. I was not expecting it, but you know, he, he put up, he put up good numbers last year and he doesn't even, he won't have to be, you know, the best player in Houston carrying that team on his back. It's a, if you were an Astros fan right now, I feel like you'd be ecstatic over this. Like this is, this is like exactly what a team like that needs. And goes back to what I was saying earlier about the lineup and adding Abreu to that lineup and the way that they approach pitching. Abreu, I think, is going to improve his plate approach uh, being under the the watchful eye of the Houston Astros organization. So, man, you talk about a, a perfect fit. Good for Jose Abreu and, and unfortunately good for the Astros because they got a good one there. And that leads us to where the White Sox stand internally. It's just another example of you know the frustrations that many have experienced over the last couple of seasons as Jose Abreu being a core part of the reason the White Sox have success especially offensively and, and within the culture of the clubhouse now you take that away and you had two years of Tony La Russa. again we bring that up but again we have to like two years of Tony La Russa meant that this was two years of frustration and, and two years of wasted production from so many players so I'm thinking to myself with Jose Abreu gone, now we can look forward to what's ahead, and that is Andrew Vaughn and Oscar Colas and Gavin Sheets and opportunities now, maybe even for Jake Berger. Is that in the cards, James? Do you see Jake Berger 
getting involved more so now on the active roster. It's it's a hard spot for him because he's right-handed and he also plays a position that's occupied at the moment. So you're looking at DH. I mean, how does Jake Berger impact the rest of this 26-man roster? So we did just kind of talk about like the 13-13 rule makes things a little bit difficult, right? But I think it kind of depends on what they do. You know, I don't know if the White Sox are going to spend enough money to get like a Michael Conforto type, right? But if you get like a left-handed righty masher to play left field, you know, and then against right-handers, like Aloy is your DH, I would imagine. But I mean, maybe maybe we're in a situation where, you know, Aloy Jimenez ends up where he plays left field um, against lefties a lot of the time. And then you have an open DH spot and somehow you can keep Jake Berger and his job is kind of like DH or, you know, sometimes third base, like against left-handed pitching only. Like, could you use him that way? Cause I, you know, like Gavin Sheets is a member of this team. I just, I just don't think those guys are going to be counted on, but I do think like in specific roles, they're useful. The problem with Berger is obviously like the defense, right? And like, where do you play him? Like if you have four bench spots, like one of them's Leary barring a, surprising roster you know move and the other is a catcher so that kind of leaves you two spots um i'm guessing like if they have left-handed hitters in each corner you're gonna have some sort of right-handed outfielder and then that leaves one spot right so it's just tough to to keep a guy like that on the roster um so yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised if jake Berger's like involved in trade talks like this offseason like if he was traded for something useful like it wouldn't surprise me at all um, but you know, he's, he's not a bad guy to have around because he has shown the ability to like hit left-handed pitching. So, you know, that's, that's part of this thing. And Vaughn's obviously going to play first. And that was one of the big reasons why, you know, Jose Abreu is moving on and, you know, something that we haven't really talked about that much, obviously like Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, like it was well documented after the 2019 season that, you know, they kind of, they were going to move on from Jose Abreu. And look, I think in hindsight, like maybe that was the wrong decision, right? Because he, he was been pretty good the last three years and he won the MVP in the shortened season and he was different last year, but still very productive. And maybe that would have been a stupid move, but look like that's what they were going to do. And then Jerry Reinsdorf decided he wanted to keep Jose Abreu, which look, I think most fans were, were fine with because they, you know, wanted Jose Abreu on their team. But I think the other part of the organization is like trying to prep for a future without Jose Abreu. Like, you know, if this front office knew that Jose Abreu was going to be here the last three years, I'm not positive that Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets are drafted by the White Sox. So, you know, it's just another example of like they just, you know, the communication and the process is just there's just there are always issues that you can point to within this organization where it's like you don't know who's running it sometimes. And stuff like this happens because of it and you have the roster issues that you have. And because of those roster issues, like a franchise icon leaves, you know, probably a little bit too soon, I guess. Like, you know, like I'm good with being out like a little bit too early instead of too late, but I understand the argument if people wanted like Jose Abreu to remain here. So, you know, just some of those things are like, you know, some of the factors in, you know, what happened, you know, today with, with Jose Abreu signing with the Astros. Yeah, I think that's very well said, and that's great perspective just on roster construction from the position player side. 
you have a bench spot for Leary, you have a bench spot for a catcher, and then you think about the addition of the left-handed bat, and you it leaves you one more bench spot. So that's great stuff. And, of course, what you were just saying leads me to the next point. Who's in charge, right? We always ask that on the Bernstein at Home Show, 10 to 2, Monday through Friday on 670, the score, shameless plug there. But as I'm thinking about the White Sox structure as you're uh, providing your answer, it leads me to, and we should mention that there is an expectation that the White Sox are going to be announcing the coaching staff hires very soon. It could be the day that you're listening to this podcast or it already had happened, but um, anticipate that coming. And it's Pedro Grafol working with the Chicago White Sox for an office. And I say Chicago White Sox for an office because it's not one particular individual. It's a number of people who have a collaborative think space uh, and that's how they come to conclusions. So you're thinking about Kurt Hassler and Ethan Katz returning. Charlie Montoya was the bench coach that was already part of the deal. And it wasn't really Pedro Grifol's, uh opinion to bring on Montoya. It was just a thing that the White Sox wanted to do. And then they elevated Chris Johnson. And now Mike Tozar, who is Pedro Grifol. Um, a childhood friend and also a former hitting and special assignment coach with the Royals, a longtime relationship with Pedro Grifol, uh, is now the Major League Field Coordinator on the White Sox. And Chris Johnson, by the way, the AAA hitting coach of the Charlotte Knights. So that was an organizational move. It's just, to me, James, seems like that Pedro Grifol was brought on and the message was, hey, we're going to allow you to operate the clubhouse. However, we are going to put people around you who we believe are the right fit. And that could rub people the wrong way from the outside looking in because it's not necessarily Pedro Grafol making all of these decisions on his coaching staff. So that's that's one thing that, that came to mind as you were discussing because this to me seems like a clubhouse and dugout as an extension of the front office, which I think had that been the case over the last two years, the roster would be managed differently and expectations uh, could have been, I think, adjusted accordingly. But now it seems like, James, am I off there? Do you feel uneasy about the way that the coaching staff is being constructed and how much power Pedro Grofol really does have? No, I'm fine with it. I think this is like, you know, kind of what happens everywhere, right? I think people... I think people just get worried because they they feel like the White Sox are just going to like hire some puppet and then, you know, like keep all their same bad coaches around. And while like, look, I think some of those guys are going to have the opportunity to return. There will be some familiar faces, right, is what it seems like. But I mean, like a major league field coordinator, like, mm-hmm. you, like you know, I've heard a lot of people ask and like me and uh, Josh Nelson, when he filled in last week, we kind of thought like, what does a major league field coordinator do? And I've done a little bit of digging and like some teams have it. And it just seems like it's a conduit between the dugout and the front office. And, you know, like apparently Shelly Duncan was that. Um, but, you know, like, I don't, I don't know exactly like Shelly Duncan might be wonderful at his job, right? But when when the manager like doesn't listen to the person that's the conduit to the front office, like it becomes very tough, right? So, yeah, like I don't know if it's just like an elevated title for Mike Tozar, like, and that's how they got him out of Kansas City. But it's it's definitely like some new age stuff. Like even seeing that title, I was like, oh, this is different, right? So, and I guess like we we really also 
we don't know necessarily what Chris Johnson is doing. My guess is that he's still the assistant hitting coach and like there's a hitting coach coming in from the outside that we just don't know about. So that part will be interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's a modern coaching staff. I think this is kind of what the front office wanted. And then they took like a two year respite to, you know, back to 1998 or whatever. And, you know, this will be different, but look, they're going to have to prove it on the field. And, um, you know, this is going to be like an off season storyline. You know, one thing you didn't mention, you know, that Pedro Grafal hinted at in his press conference that Rickon didn't want to talk about was right, sports right. science or whatever, you know? So today they did make a hire. They hired Jeff head to be their new senior director of sports performance. Um, he previously had a similar position with the Cincinnati Reds. So look, I can't, I, I have no idea what Jeff head does or like what his qualifications are, but they hired somebody to lead a sports science department um, and they've never had a position like this before. So look, I think often on this podcast, we've credited the organization for finally doing things that they should have done a decade ago. Like I, I don't need to sit here and say like, Oh, well they should have done it a decade ago. Like, while that's true. Like congratulations, like let's move into the future and like do some of these things. So I think it's more positive than negative. Um, But you know, they're finally going to have a sports science department, which I think is good. Yeah, that's wonderful news. That's fantastic news. I'm looking forward to how that has an impact on the way we can understand why players are getting hurt or what makes the players uh, better individually or what that can do to change approaches, swing habits, everything. I think uh, I think that'll be fun to follow and it's great to hear. James, you had one more thing that you wanted to touch on before we got out of here. Yeah, so something and look, maybe this is like a little too inside baseball and like I'm weird and care about stuff like this. But so I will say like Ken Williams, the executive vice president or whatever his title is of the White Sox has, has had a long standing relationship with Ken Rosenthal, who everybody knows, right? Maybe one of the best baseball writers and insider types in the business. So, you know, I thought it was interesting that Ken Rosenthal got the Mike Clevenger news, like pretty much right away. And then I thought immediately back to, you know, the piece that Ken Rosenthal wrote about Tony La Russa, where he had Mm -hmm. like all of the information, he had all of the goods, right? Like he talked to players, he talked to coaches. And that was when I kind of knew like Tony LaRusso was done in Chicago because, you know, they, he got the entire organization to spill the beans. Like Ken came in for a late season game for Fox and talked to all these people. And he got that big story, which I think was part of the public impetus to kind of move Tony LaRusa out of his current position. So all I'm saying is like the way this works in this business and every business, don't be surprised if Ken Rosenthal has lots of White Sox news this offseason. That's Ken Rosenthal is probably the baseball writer that we need to be following for White Sox news. There you go. And I mean, did he claim the title over Bob Nightingale? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Well, guy, yeah. One of the, one of the guys that Bob Nightingale talked to doesn't work for the White Sox anymore. So. Ew, oof. Okay. Then there it is. James, really good stuff. Thanks for uh, everything that you do and, and good stuff there on the Ken Rosenthal stuff. I really haven't thought about that. So interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm always interested to know like where because like the old like John Heyman joke is that like John Heyman's like a peddler for Boris, right? So it's like, oh, mm-hmm. there's f- four teams and a mystery team, and then like you know two days later like Heyman has the you know like such and such side with the Mets, like you know because he did his part two days prior, you know, for Boris. And they, I just like find that stuff interesting, and maybe some of it's overblown, but I think it's funny. 
We're going to keep an eye on everything going on with the White Sox. And listen to the Sox Machine podcast, too, if you want to get more in-depth on the Mike Clevenger signing as well as uh, the impact of Jose Abreu's departure. Josh Nelson and Jim Margos do a great job. Uh, they they bust uh, they bust it every single day, every week. We live it firsthand because we are partners with SoxMachine.com, and you're listening to this podcast thanks to the Blue Wire Network. And wherever you get your podcast, make sure you subscribe, like, and download. Leave us a comment. Rate us. Give It would be great if you just give us five stars right now. Just give us a big old thumbs up, and it help us uh, in the algorithm, and we'll be able to pop up more and more on White Sox fans and baseball fans' feeds. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do that and listening to us babble about Chicago White Sox baseball at the end of November. As December's on its way, winter meetings upcoming, then the stuff's going to pick up, you would assume, and some of these high-profile names might be falling. We'll see if the White Sox are in on them. Always a seat at the table. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We drop episodes every Tuesday, so stay tuned. Every week, we got you covered here at FutureSox.com. Talk to you again next week.